0: Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate that. Appreciate the good testimonies tonight. Excited. God's working. God's moving. God's answering prayer. God's helping us to become more like Him. If there's anything that we should hope that uh, out of our life, if there's one dream, if there should be one desire, it's to be more like Him a little more each day. And uh, I'm thankful that God's doing that in our midst. And I'm sure... I'm sure that if I if everyone were to testify this this evening that probably all of us could say how God's been helping and working with us here in recent days and and uh, I'm excited about it and uh, trusting that God's going to keep working, keep moving, keep growing us, making us more like him. If you have your bibles, turn with me if you would to Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul's first letter to Timothy, it's a uh, We've begun to study this book. We, we looked at first at, at, uh, at Timothy's life about who he was and all the excuses that perhaps that he might have had for not taking on this great responsibility of, of dealing with uh, this church at Ephesus and all the problems that they had. And then we've also looked at, at the responsibilities, the things that he needed to do and the Paul continues to give him some guidance, some help. And so I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. And I, oh, verse twelve. I'm sorry if I didn't tell you that already. I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit to preach. <laughs> and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with his faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, to live everlasting. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, Son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, and that thou by them mightest war a good warfare." holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, we thank you so much one more time for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, for how you're working amongst your people. And we ask that you'd help us this evening to rightly divide the word of truth and may you be glorified in it but most of all, help us to walk in the light of it. We ask these things in your name, Amen. You may be seated. I have a news flash for you. I'm glad you're all sitting, or almost sitting. Um, you're you're going to want to be sitting for this news flash. People are difficult. You all are shocked. I, I'm glad. I mean, some of you would have passed out from that from that information. You didn't know that. We know that. That, that. I mean, there's nothing more uh, true probably in this world is that people are difficult. Some people are difficult because, well, that's just their nature. They like being difficult. They like being a challenge. They like always being the, the, the weird one or the one that's you know marching to their own drummer. That's me. I know that I am. I'm, I'm a difficult person. Not because I mean to be, but because I just, I'm just not one that just, you say it and I just follow along. I I need to hear the evidence. I need to hear the facts. I need to, I need for you to demonstrate that what we're doing is the right thing to do. And then once I'm convinced, I'm ready to go and and do it. And I'm willing to break any box and any barriers that that are out there, so long as it's not sin, to, to do what the right thing is. And that, man, that's difficult for some people. Some people like things to be just as they always were. So I, I know I can, be, I can be difficult, not because, not because I'm trying to be difficult, but it's just my nature. I just can't follow along with the crowd. Just not good at it. If I were an antelope, I would have been the first one eaten by the lions. <laughs> I just would be. I just would not be hanging out with the other antelope. I'd be wanting to check it out with the zebras they're doing and checking out what the, uh, the uh, hippopotamuses were up to. I, I would be all in trouble. I would be in trouble. It's a good thing the Lord didn't make me an antelope because I would have been a I'd have been a quick dinner. There's other people who are difficult because that's just they just like to be difficult. If you say something, they are going to argue it for the sake of arguing it. They may not even believe the side that they're taking, but man, they're going to argue until they're blue in the face just because they like to have an argument. Or they just like, you know, they just want things a certain way, you know. Don't, don't do any, uh, you know, everything's got to be just this way, and, and man, you know... I remember I was, I was at my first church, and we were going to side the church, okay? You know, no big deal. I'm, I'm young. I'm as green as can be, 21, 22 years old. And, you know, the board says we're going to side the church, and we're all excited. We got all the money together and all the things are about this, and, and I asked a crazy question. I didn't realize this was a crazy question, but it, apparently it was. I said, what color are we going to side it? Doesn't that seem like a reasonable question? I mean, we all voted. Everything was going to happen. Everybody's excited. We're uh, we're gonna. uh, It's a small church. Almost everybody that attended the church was on the board. Literally, I think we had one person who attended our church regularly who wasn't on the board. I mean, don't you think we should talk about the color? And this was the answer. We never thought about talking about the color. We just assumed it would be white because we all go to the little white church in the Wildwood. Everybody's supposed to come, come, come to. That's what I was told. (laughs) It had to be white. The song says so. Listen, I don't care if if it's white siding or brown siding or if you do brick or what. I didn't really care. I just wanted to be sure that we were all in agreement and apparently they all were cuz it never entered their mind that it could be anything else. But you know it could have been difficult if there was one person that was saying it has to be white and everybody else was wanting a different color. And it, the song says, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm so glad we didn't have any conflict over that but we can have we can have people who are difficult because it has to be a certain way it has to be done their way i don't remember which child it was but we would when uh, my wife would be putting dishes in the uh, in the dishwasher one of the one of our little ones would go and rearrange the, dishwa- the dirty dishes in the dishwasher because she didn't put it in correctly. Her mom, or his mom, whichever one it is, but, and this was a two or three year old who had to make sure they were put in a certain way. And Trisha wisely just let her do it, didn't matter. But you know, that, that can be difficult. When you have a person that's gumming up the works and keeping things from happening because it's got to be their way, some people are difficult because of sin. Sometimes they are. Brother Bob was talking about selfishness. Man, selfishness really gets in the way, doesn't it? It's got to be our way. It's got to do this. It's got. We got to have it, it. Man, we can. I mean. Folks, I, I, I've seen it. I'd I almost be hesitant to even tell some of the stories I've seen in churches of people who have been caused problems and rifts and, and really people leaving the church over things not going the way they wanted it to go. Honestly, does it matter? I was just telling Wes that I said, I said, people often get confused and they think that the things that are dangerous when they're really benign. And things that are benign that are really dangerous, and they don't. We often don't know which way it is. Well, you know, as pastor, we'll, I'll get questions like, "Is it a sin too? If you're asking if it's a sin to, probably it is. Just, just stay away from it. If you don't know, if it's not safe, I mean, that'd be like me bringing out some berries and saying, "I'm not sure if these are poisonous or not. You want some?" You would. I mean, you laugh because it's duh. You would never eat berries you didn't know if they were poisonous or not. You got more sense than that. If we realize that sin is more dangerous than poison, it's poison to the soul, why wouldn't we have that same reaction? We don't always know what's what's dangerous, and, and, and we get thinking this is dangerous, this is dangerous, and it's nothing. I don't know how many times I've seen them like, oh dear. I'll, I'll be like, I'll, I'll you know, I'll come home to, to to the wife after a counseling session, and I said we spent forty-five minutes about nothing in that session. It was a big nothing burger. And then other times I've brought something up, and they're like, that's not a big deal, and I'm like, that's the whole problem. It's the whole big deal. We don't know. And we can be difficult not only because of sin, but because of ignorance. We don't know why things are the way they are or whatever, and we get all this conflict. And So I think we all agree that people can be difficult, and I, I hope I don't offend you when I say this, but there are probably times that you are difficult. I've already admitted there's times I'm difficult. I know it. And you know what? that can cause friction, and that can cause problems. You know, most marriages that end in divorce, divorce in between years four and seven. It's, those are dangerous years for a couple, because they're to that place where, where now the difficulties are really coming in. The challenges, all that love and all those wonderful... Man, for the rest of your life is starting to hit and 4 to 7 are really dangerous years. Do you know what? It's also the most dangerous years for a pastor. Most pastors leave a church between years 4 and 7. Relationships are get to a place where there has just been enough friction between 4 and 7 years. Where you have that conflict, you have you have the, they're difficult and you know what? We have it it becomes a challenge to be able to work through those cha- those difficulties. And if we can work through those, then you can have a marriage that can last years or an, a, a ministry that can last years. But those, those years, four to seven, are really dangerous. I say that knowing we're, we're getting close to that. <laughs> and that's all right. It's all right. We'll work together. We'll do our best through that. And if we'll show each other grace and love, we'll get through it. As God desires and God plans, just like I don't know, I don't know what the marriages of of these guys over here are, but probably four to seven is probably not too far off. They'll get through it, just like you got through yours, and you probably remember some of those difficulties in years four to seven. They're challenging. What does that got to do with First Timothy? Where? What am I going with? The whole book of First Timothy is about. Paul telling Timothy how to work with the church where there's difficult people. We talked about the, the widows and that were taking advantage of, of the finances of the church. We took a, uh, talked about the old pe- men who were getting drunk and embarrassing the church. We talked about the young ladies who were showing up as fashionistas to church. And there's all these conflicts and all these battles and all these difficult people And this passage here gives us a blueprint or a template for dealing with difficult people. Wouldn't you like to know what God has to say about how to deal with difficult people? I would, because guess what? We deal with them a lot. And so the first thing that that Paul would tell Timothy as a blueprint when you're dealing with difficult people is remember that you needed grace too. You needed grace too. And, and, and the way that Paul does it is he, he doesn't point his finger at Timothy, he points his finger at himself. He says, Timothy, I was a blasphemer. I was a prosecutor. I, I persecuted. I persecuted the church. I did wrong in my life. I was, in fact, I am the chief of sinners. You talk about being vulnerable to, to his son in the faith. You know, a lot of times we like to hide our past from other people, and especially those that would be coming up behind us and, and, and those that would, would, uh, you know, would maybe look up to us. And we like to hide our past. And, and honestly, one of the things that I appreciate about Paul is, is he doesn't hide his past from Timothy. He says, you know what, Timothy? I needed grace. I needed grace. I wonder how often as Paul would be laying in his uh, cot or his bed at the end of the night that he'd hear the screams of Stephen as he's being stoned. Years after salvation, years after being delivered, but still Paul would be reminded that Stephen was was, uh, stoned in his presence and he was a hand in it. Newton, writer of Amazing Grace. You know the story. You know that he had been a slave trader. William Wilberforce, that great statesman of England who fought for years, decades, in order to end slavery in in England. Young Wilberforce went to to Newton and he said to him, he said, would you please write down your story? Would you let me have your story so that I can, can use it as a tool to fight against this horrible thing called slavery? And this is what Newton said. He said, I can't do it. I'm haunted by 20,000 ghosts. Couldn't do it. Just before William Wilberforce would be successful, Newton would be old. His, he would be nearly blind. He, he called William Wilberforce in, and, and Newton said to him, he says, I've written it all down. He says, my memory's fading he says, but I don't forget that. He says, I've written down numbers, I've written down ship names, I've written down everything that I can that I can remember. He says, use it. It took him decades in order to get to the place where that he could face the horrid past of his life. What I'm trying to help us to understand is when when we look at somebody who is difficult in their problematic and maybe sinful and carnal and and whatever other adjective that we'd like to put on them, we've got to remember that they have the opportunity to be a trophy of grace. They have an opportunity. And we can be an avenue and we can be a help to them so that they might be recipients of that grace that we received one of the things that's so difficult is we live in time and do you know what we often do as christians we live in the past we think about all the bad things we did or how wonderful things were in the back in the good old days we live in the past and then you know what we do we took we take somebody we look at them and we judge them in the present But when God saves them, he saves them in their present, from their past, but he has a hopeful future for them. And if we can get a hold of the idea that God has a hopeful future for this person, if they could just receive grace, it might change the way we treat them. It might change our attitudes towards them. It might change our approach. We might suddenly say, you know what? This old guy who's getting drunk and and embarrassing the church, this could be a trophy of grace. How can we do that? Oh, this young lady showing up in church in her fancy clothes and making fun of the poor people who can't afford it. How can we show her grace? Oftentimes we get uncomfortable when sinners come into our church because we don't like it but folks it's the most wonderful thing to be a place where grace can be shown and where hope for each individual is is something that is is on our hearts that we we have an expectancy for every person who walks through the door that god's gonna help them and maybe, they'll help them, maybe God will help them today, or maybe it will be in the future. Maybe it will be sometime later. We don't know, and it may not be here. It may be at another church. We don't know, but, but God can help them. God can give them grace, and I know it because he showed me grace. What a great place to start, Timothy. What a great place to start, Timothy, with difficult people, to remember that God shows grace and remember that we need it. The second thing that that Paul would tell Timothy that he needs to do is be a pattern of grace. Be what you want them to be. Live it out. You know, parents, that some of them like to say, do as I say and not as I do. Do you know what happens when that kid turns 18? They're doing what you do and not what you say. If you want someone to do something, you first have to do it yourself. When I was in my master's program studying to be a counselor, we had a great professor. His name was Dr. Marcurio. He's an Italian man. Really, really liked him. I was only there our first year, and one of the bigger schools snatched him away. He was too good. But I was thankful to have Dr. Mercurio. And this is something that he drove into us that first year over and over and over into our minds. He says, you cannot lead people to places you are unwilling to go to yourself. He says, if you want to counsel people to have good marriages, you're going to have to work on your marriage. If you want to help people, you want to lead them into making good choices, you're going to have to make good choices yourself. If you want to help people with their difficult parents or their difficult family, you're going to have to deal with your difficult family and your difficult parents. You have to do it first if you're ever going to lead other people to do it. For a solid year, Dr. Markirio drilled that into me. I don't know if I remember anything else that he ever taught us, but he drilled that one thought into me. I cannot expect to counsel people, or as, as pastor, I cannot ask you to, to dive into the deeps of spirituality where, that I'm too afraid to do myself. I have to be a pattern of grace. I have to do it. I can't expect my children to live more godly than I live. I hope they do, but I can't expect it. And you know, oftentimes, as parents, we can we can we can punish our kids for things that we do ourselves. Kid gets you know, wakes up, and they're just cranky, and we get on them for being cranky. But man, when you're cranky, who disciplines you? And you know, you have cranky days sometimes. Or you know, the parents, I've seen them blow up over a spilled drink or something. Really? When when you spill something, what happens? As, As parents, as grandparents, we have a responsibility to be examples of what we want for them. And so when we spill something, what we do is we say, it's all right. It's just spilled. We're going to clean it up. We're going to take responsibility for it. We're going to own up to it. We'll pour ourselves a new one. No big deal. And when they spill something, we take them through the same process. Or patterns of grace. Patterns of grace. When people come into our church, I want them to see patterns that they can follow their life after. Follow me even as I follow Christ. I have a question for you this, this morning or this evening. If you had someone who followed you around everywhere for 24 hours, seven days a week, for a year, and they, would you want them to live your life? Would they want, you want them to have your, uh, make your choices, to have your morals, to show your kind of, of generosity, your kind of kindness? What if you were Christ to somebody? The only example that they would have of this is the way that I should live. Do you measure up? I think all of us kind of squirm a little bit when we think of it that way. We all have areas that I hope we're working on. And folks, that's where that first point comes in. We might need some grace still. We might need some grace still. We're still moving up. We're still striving. We're still pushing. And we might. And it's all right to say, "I'm not here yet. I'm working on it. I'm asking God to help me. I'm asking God to show me. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it." It's, It's. See, this first point goes along with the second point. They walk hand in hand. We can get so caught up on this second point of being what we should be and realize that we're not there that we don't give ourselves grace. Grace is so important in dealing with difficult people. And if you are your own difficult person, show yourself some grace. Jesus said, Love your enemies, and sometimes that enemy is you. Or should I say, Me? You are your own enemy. And sometimes you've got to love yourself. I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm talking about showing yourself some grace because beating yourself up isn't going to help you serve God any better. And beating somebody up because they don't measure up or they're not walking in the light as fast as you think they should isn't going to help them either. We don't want to. We don't want to. I understand that. I understand that, that, that you know, uh, man, Grace. You know, grace is something everybody wants to give, but very few people want to. Re- or, or everybody wants to receive, but very few people want to give. It was a mistake. Forgive me. It was no big deal. You know, don't, don't what? Uh, relax. But when they do it to us, that suddenly it's a big deal. And man. And the Jesus' parables are full of this kind of story, where one person needs grace, and and they, and another person doesn't. Willing to give it. You th- I think of the person that owed the talents. It was forgiven, but then he, someone who owed him a few denarii. He threw him into prison. Why is it, why is it that, that we see the log in everybody else's eye, but we can't, or the specks of the other people's eyes. It's specks for them and logs for us. Why is that? Because we expect grace, but we don't want to give Grace. And if we're going to give grace, if we're going to be people to deal with difficult people, we're going to have to give grace and we're going to have to be patterns. We're going to have to be examples of grace. But there's one final thought, and this one's the not, not so wonderful one. Sometimes discipline's necessary. Hymenius, or however you say his name, and Alexander, they kept blaspheming. Paul gave them grace. He was an example of grace. He talked about how he was a blasphemer himself. He, he talked about his own failings as an individual, and he, and he tried to be faithful to, to these two gentlemen, tried to help them to, to see that they're, the error of their ways. They refused. Maybe they would come to the altar, and they'd, they'd try to do better, and then they'd, they'd go back to it. They, it was backers and forth, backers and forth. And Paul says they shipwrecked their faith. And you'll do that. You don't truly repent. You're just sorry and and not truly going to change the way you live. You'll shipwreck your faith. You'll think there's nothing to this. And these two gentlemen, Hymenius and and Alexander, shipwreck their faith. And they're causing problems in the church because now they're saying, I'm not sure there's anything more to this. And they're blaspheming again. And do you know what Paul had to do? He says, You guys can't come to church. You can't be here as long as you're going to be blasphemers. There's going to have to be discipline. Pastor, we don't like that. Um, you know, we're supposed to be a loving church, and, and you know, love, love would never tell people they couldn't come back. What are you talking about? One of the most important things I ever learned in Bible school was one soul is worth the whole world, but one soul is not worth ten souls. One soul is worth the whole world, but one soul is not worth ten souls. And there are some times that we have to take a stand and say, this is not happening in our church. It's not going to happen. And if you're a member, we're going to deal with it through the process. And we'll, and if we have to, we'll remove your membership. We'll, we'll remove privileges. And we'll try to bring you through a, a pathway of restoration and if you're not a member and we, and we would still try to work with you and try to help to restore you spiritually, but if you refuse, there comes a point where we say that you can't be a part of our fellowship. You can't be a part of this congregation. There are some things that will not be permitted as a part of our church. And, it'll, and it will include anything that would cause others to stumble and fall. And I know that's hard to hear. And the amens have dried up, and that's okay. (laughs) I'm not going to allow. I'm not going to allow for people to come in here teaching false doctrine, and they stand up every time they testify, and they want to do false doctrine and spew it, and then we try to get them to be quiet, and they just shout over top. They're not going to be welcome. They're not. People want to get up and start jabbering in tongues? We're going to tell them we don't do that here, and if they continue, they're going to be sent out. We're not confusing our young people and our children over that false doctrine. If there's somebody who's, who's preying on children or women. They're not going to be welcome here. I'm not saying that they, if people who have a past can't come. I'm talking about people who are doing it in our, in our congregation, that they're not repentant, they're not changing. Okay, there's a difference. I'm not talking about a past. Paul was a murderer of Christians, but he was brought into the fellowship. Okay? We're not talking about a pastor. I'm talking about a continued, uh, persistent, falling into the same sin over and over and over and over, and where it becomes dangerous to our community and to our church and to our young people, and there comes a point where we say, I'm sorry, you just can't come back. Pastor, have you done it? I've told people that, they're, that they were at that point. I have I told them if this happens again you can't come back until it's dealt with I don't like doing that but it, there comes a point where we have to turn them over to Satan so that they can learn from the hardships of sin the way of the transgressor is hard and through that difficulty that they come to a place where they come to the end of themselves and come back in repentance I know that sounds hard to hear because we don't like to think of discipline in the church. But folks, we discipline our kids because we love them. We don't discipline them because we hate them. And the same goes for the church. If, we, if you, if you, if you are, are having sin in your life and you're not dealing with it, don't you want someone who loves you to correct you and say, listen, what you're doing is hurting yourself and it's hurting your family and it's hurting your church? Don't you want to hear that? You do if you're wise. That's what the proverb writer says. But if you don't want to hear it, the proverb writer tells you you're a fool. I'm not saying it's easy to hear. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt to hear it. It does. It hurts to hear it. But man, when it's true. But let me just put in this caution. This came last. There was a hope, an expectation of grace. There was a pattern set of grace. There was communication. There was, there was, there was correction. There was, there was everything that was done before it got to this place. And it was left up to the leadership. Paul did it. Timothy was going to have to do it in Ephesus. It isn't just for anyone to just get up and try, just try to hurt somebody. Or to think that it's their place to correct it. Take it to the board. Take it to your pastor. If it's that serious, take it to us. Let us deal with it. Trust us with it unless we've disappointed you. Unless we've shown that you we can't and won't deal with discipline issues. And if that's the case, you need new board members or a new pastor. It's just the way it is. Our responsibility For uh, as as board members and as pastor, is to protect this congregation and to help us to become more like Christ. And there's a lot of other things that usually take up our time, like building projects and and ministries and and all these other things, but ultimately our goal is to get all of us safely to heaven and bring as many as possible with us. And so be careful if you think you're going to be the, the voice of discipline. You better have a good relationship with them. And you should be in a place of leadership over them. And you better have a lot of wisdom and a lot of direction from the Holy Spirit. Because you know, I've seen a lot of people that are hurt and they've left the church and never come back because the person who spoke wasn't full of grace. We're going to have to deal with difficult people. It's part of it. You deal with them at work. We deal with them in our home. We deal with them in the mirror. Maybe we may have to deal with them at church. And as we reach out, as God helps us, and I'm praying that He's going to bring, start bringing some people in from the community, we're going to have some difficult people. And you know what? There's some people who quit the job of trying to reach lost people because it's, they're difficult people. Let's remember that Paul gave Timothy a blueprint have hope, have expectation that, and, and of, of grace in their life because God was gracious to us It was gracious to others. Be a pattern of grace. And ultimately, if we have to, we'll go to discipline. But only as a last resort. Because I believe that, the, that most of the time, people who want to serve God will listen to the Holy Spirit and will move up. God help us. One, help us to not be difficult needlessly, but also help us to be able to work with difficult people in such a way that they see God's grace in us. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Brother Gary, would you dismiss us in prayer?